Well, good morning, everybody. It is good to see you all here today. For those of you that don't know me, my name is Justin. I'm the pastor here, and I'm excited to jump in as we continue our series in Luke and look at uh, one of the most famous psalms in Scripture, uh, the Magnificants, and it is the Song of Mary. I don't know if any of you have ever walked into what looks like a bad situation that God is telling you to fully walk into so that his glory would be shown through at the end. Um, and and I, did, I did not want to share this story, but I really felt like for some reason God wanted me to share. So I'm going to share because this is very similar to what Mary is walking into before she sings this song of praise to God. She is walking into a situation that by all means is ridiculous. She has a teenage pregnancy where she's engaged to somebody, has not slept with him, but has to go to him and tell him that this baby is God's, it's not yours, I promise. And then after that, she has to live a life with what other people would shame her for, but what God had given her to show his glory through. So she was walking into a hard situation and then she meets with her cousin, Elizabeth, and the Holy Spirit enters into the situation and, and comes into the baby John in the womb of Elizabeth where he kicks at the sight of his cousin walking in. And then Elizabeth from the power of the Holy Spirit prophesies over the baby that Mary is carrying. And then Mary, walking away from that situation, praises God. Because even though what she is about to walk into will be difficult, is not what her life planned, is what God has called her to, she knows that she is blessed to have the glory of God shine through her. And so uh, about a, a month and a half ago, I, I spoke to the elders and some of the leaders. Uh, our church has not been doing great financially. You know, covid all the other things that have happened, uh, it, is, it has been a hard time. And so in December, we, all of the staff took their already not great salaries and took cuts to their salaries. And so about a month and a half ago, I talked to the elders and I felt what God was asking me to walk into was this next step. If our church was going to continue to grow and do well, I had to take another cut. And, and so, but I said, I'm, I'm walking into this and I feel like God is going to provide when I do this. And this is not something to be sad about for me or anything like that. I believe God is, is asking me of this to take this step of faith. And you know, if you know me, you know I have five side hustles to make up for it already what the church cannot provide in salary. <laughs> and so I felt like God was like, don't worry, I'll provide through one of those avenues, one of those means for you. Uh, and, and so I got the ball rolling. Uh, you know, I got, for those of you that don't know me, I got four kids. We finally moved out of our one-bedroom apartment in Brooklyn and have bigger space, which means I got a bigger bill every month, bigger utilities, all this stuff. And right when I walk into these bigger expenses, God's like, you know what? Take a pay cut, another one. Good for you. <laughs> and so, as always, I say, okay, Lord, I will. Um, and so I, I, I make the arrangements that happen in the the first week that it goes into effect was somewhere like three or four weeks ago. Uh, and that first week uh, that that happened, simultaneously that week in my business, we, 
sign three significant deals that week that would cover exactly what I was leaving off um, for, for what I was taking off the table. And yes, amen, praise God. And at the end of that, you know, this was like, yes, I'm walking into a situation in faith, but as David spoke on last week, there's some fear and anxiety when you walk into what God has called you to do. Because yes, he is powerful. Yes, he is all-knowing. Yes, he is sovereign. But yes, this also makes no sense. And so you walk into a situation faithfully saying, God, I don't know what you're going to do here. I don't know how you're going to do it. This makes no sense. I don't understand. But when God comes through as he always does, amen, the only thing that you have left at the end is to praise him. The only thing that you have left at the end is to speak about how great God is and how amazing his faithfulness is. And if you have followed God, and I don't mean follow God by you went to church once a week for an hour for the last 10 years or 15 years. If you have followed God, if you have followed him and obediently into places that do not make sense, then you have known God's faithfulness throughout your entire life. And so this is Mary. She's young, probably 14, 15 years old. She may have not had the life experience of seeing God's faithfulness like some of us have in our older age, but she walks into this. She sees the faithfulness of the Lord and she praises him. And you can read along with me in Luke chapter 1, verses 46 to 56, and hear the praise of Mary. It says, and Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked upon the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things in me, and holy is his name. Can you say that? Holy is his name. Holy is his name. And mercy, his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arms. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remains about three months and returned home. See, let me tell you, Mary had a lot to praise for to God as she walked into this situation. She did not even see what Jesus would do in his fulfillment yet, but she heard the Holy Spirit speak through Elizabeth, confirming what the angel had spoken to her. And all that she could do is praise God. And so there's three different praises that Mary has here. Let me tell you, one praise is not enough when God works in our life. Can I get an amen for that? Sometimes we got to praise him multiple different ways for all the things that God has done. So first she praises him for the work that he has done in her life. In verses 46 through 49, I'm going to read it again. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. 
for he has looked upon the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. I want you to look at how Mary describes God here. What attributes, what characteristics does she give to God? I'm I'm telling you, when you are going through a rough time and you don't know what to say to God, all you have to do is repeat what you know and who you know God is. Praise doesn't need to be only in the midst of a good situation and the midst of a good circumstance. Praise can happen when you're in a jail cell and got locked up because God called you to do what he did, what he called you to do, like Paul did when, when him and Silas are in the jail cell. What does he do? He praises God, and what happens? The angel comes and breaks the chains off of him. We don't need to be in a circumstance and a situation where everything is going great for us to remember the goodness and the greatness of God. I came Pentecostal for you today, and I'm expecting some responses for it. (laughs) What does she say that God is? She says that he is a savior. He is mighty and he is holy. See, it doesn't matter what we're going through, church. These are the attributes of God that have been for all time from the very beginning. From when Adam sinned in the garden, we get the first prophecy in that moment of God's salvation, of what he is, of savior, of mighty, and of holy. He says there will be Something, the serpent, you are going to bruise the heel of the seed of the woman, but what will Jesus do? What will that seed do? It will crush your head, right? You will be saved from this. The the mightiness of God that the serpent may bruise him, but guess what? Who is going to win that fight? God is going to win that fight. And the holiness here that the scripture speaks about is the sovereignty of God. That no matter what happens on the earth, no matter what circumstances come, no matter what the enemy tries to do or what our flesh craves and acts towards, guess what? God is sovereign. He is holy. His will will be accomplished in all things. And so Mary remembers the greatness of God and praises him. She remembers that He is Savior. He has been Savior, always will be Savior, not only for other people, but who? For her. He is my Savior. We can rest in the fact that he is our Savior, that God is the one who saves. He always has been and always will be, that God is mighty. You know, in the the Old Testament, we hear a lot of this title, the Lord of hosts, if you read that that's just an old English word for saying the Lord of armies. He is the one that carries weight on the battlefield where he went with the first, the original 300 with Gideon into the field where tens of thousands of the armies were encamped and they surrounded them. And what happened? The 300 in God's army routed the army that was coming to attack Israel. Why? Because he is the God of armies that when Elijah was surrounded, he asked God, open the eyes of my servant. And the servant opened their eyes and they saw surrounding Elijah was the armies of the Lord in heaven and camped around the armies that surrounded them. God is mighty. He is powerful. And no matter what your situation looks, no matter how frail you may feel, it does not change the character of God that for all time, from the very beginning, he has been mighty, is mighty, and always will be mighty, that nothing can stop him, nothing is greater than him, nothing is more powerful than him. 
God is holy, church. Holy is his name. Whatever he decides to do, whatever he has set forth his will and his mind towards, guess what? It will happen. God's holiness, his set-apartness, how he is different from everything else because what God has determined is what will be happening on the earth. And so if God calls me, his servant, to walk into something, guess what? I know that all things are working together for the good of those who follow him, who those who are obedient to him, who those who serve God, submit to God. And so I know, God, I don't, this is gonna be crazy. But I know you got some plan up in there. I know you thinking some, you cooking up something in that kitchen right now that is gonna taste real good when you're done. I don't know if you've ever been around a great chef, but you know, when, I, when I'm around great chefs, I know I come hungry, but I eat a little bit before I get there because sometimes they be taking forever to finish that meal. You know, you got that pot on for five or six hours. My uncle was a great chef. I knew when I was going to his house, had a little snack with me before I got there because five hours later, I was gonna eat the best meal of my life, but I was gonna be dead if I didn't eat something before I got there. Sometimes God's cooking up something it's taking way longer. I'm feeling like, God, I'm dying right now. God, I feel like I'm a faint. I don't know what you're thinking. Please give me something. But God's got something cooking for us sometimes. And when it comes out, man, is it good. Man, is it good. But, but what I love here is not only how great Mary describes God and what she attributes to God in her praise, but how she looks at herself. How does Mary look at herself? Well, she uses three words in herself. Humble, servant, and blessed. Sometimes we put that blessed by some really ridiculous words like rich and wealthy and happy. But what does Mary describe herself? She says, humble, servant, blessed. See, what, what I've noticed about our testimony a lot of time in the church is our future testimony in our head sounds a lot like this. When I stop doing. Hmm. <laughs> when I make this pivotal decision, when I make this switch in my life, mm -mm -mm, do you know what's going to happen? When I stop being lazy, church, come on, you don't know what's going to happen. When they don't call me procrastinator anymore, I'm telling you. You ever get worked up in your head like that? Like, oh, you don't know, sitting on that couch watching that TV? Devil, when I stop procrastinating, mm, the gates of hell will not prevail. But ask yourself, who is mighty in your fantasies? <laughs> is it Jesus or is it you? Who is the one coming to the rescue in your future? Is it this great stock decision that you're going to make this week? That's going to change the financial landscape of your life and bring you all the security and comfort that you have dreamed of? 
or is it Jesus? Is it that decision between jobs that should I leave this one and go to this one or should I get promoted here or go this one that's, that's gonna change how I feel, my depression and my anxiety around what I'm doing? If I just get this thing right. Or is it Jesus? See, if you stay too long on TikTok, your savior is gonna be you. Is going to be that hustle, that grind, that ambition. You know, TikTok, it's got a crazy algorithm because every, every third TikTok that I get is, did you know about this side hustle that will make you great money? <laughs> I got to start swiping up real quick on those so it stops sending them my way. Because in, in, in our world, in our fantasies, our savior, our hopeful savior for the future is when we make that right decision. When I start doing this or I stop doing that, guess what? Everything is going to change. And when we talk to people, I have this grand vision, right? When you talk to, to anybody in the world, they tell you, if you have a vision about the future and you go and get it, I'll tell you, honey, God is going to work through that. But if there's anything that we're learning in this series, what is it? Is that I am not the main character in this story. God is the main character in this story. And I may just have some kind of subplot along the way. But as long as I keep fantasizing and thinking about what will I do to end this? What will I do to bring freedom? What will I do to get out of this? What will happen? What will I change? then honey, I'll tell you that you are your savior and Jesus is not. And what will happen 10 years down the line, you're still gonna be plotting in your head about how to get out. You may have more money, but you probably have more debt and more problems. And you're gonna have to start thinking, how will I get out of this now? Or maybe your savior isn't you. Maybe that's not your problem. Maybe you don't have to fantasize about what you're gonna do. Maybe you realize you are the problem. <laughs> Maybe it's that future spouse that's going to save you. Maybe it's that girlfriend or boyfriend that's going to bring everything I need. Mm, let me tell you. Once I got Papi Chulo that's coming in, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Everything's going to be good. I'm going to take care of my needs. Maybe it's that dream job that if I can just get this, if I just get that promotion, or if I just, just change this industry to this, everything is going to be okay. Maybe it's that, that paycheck. If I can just make it to that next paycheck, if I can just make it to that next paycheck, if I can just make it to that next paycheck, everything will be okay. See, church... There's only one thing that we should cling to. There's only one thing that if you walk away that you remember every single day, it is this, it is cling to Jesus. It's not that girlfriend, that boyfriend, that husband, that wife. It's not that job. It's not that paycheck. It's not that person. It's not that decision. It's not that fantasy. It's not that vision. It's not that dream. It is Jesus and it is Jesus only that is mighty to save. 
It is Jesus and it is Jesus only that brings blessedness. It is Jesus and it is Jesus only who is mighty savior, strong counselor, holy, holy, holy. Every day, there will be things that come in my head. Justin, if you do this, if you work harder, if you do this, if you do that, if you read this book, if you do that thing, guess what? Everything will be better. Things will begin to change. And I run through every gamut. And at the end of the day, I feel empty and I wonder why. It's because I cling to every single thing in life that promised me a better day, but I did not cling to the one who actually could provide the place where I could say better is one day than a thousand elsewhere as we read in the psalm before we started service today. Cling to Jesus. See, what does our testimony, our future testimony, testimony, that's what it is. That was prophesying right there. (laughs) Testimony. What does it magnify? Mary only magnified one person. Some of you will read this and think, Mary's really talking good about herself. Man, then you have been reading scriptures all wrong because you're probably thinking you Mary. Mary testifies to the goodness of God. When Jesus healed 10 lepers, one Samaritan leper came back and said, thank you. Before you start thinking, I always bless God. We're not even talking about Mary getting healed here. She just got a prophetic word confirming what God already told her. Who do we magnify? When when God does something, when somebody says, man... I I could go like, I I could go around telling people, I I just landed a few deals. Can you believe that? My business just grew. I go tell a bunch of, I can can make a TikTok about how to grow your business by 20% in seven days. How to write a proposal that's going to get you a great, right? You see them all the time on Facebook, TikTok, Instagram. But the truth of the matter is, Jesus said it was going to happen, and he did it. There's nothing that was great about me. All I was was obedient, and I struggled through that. His holiness was the thing that gets glorified in that moment, his sovereignty, his care, his his might, that he is still pulling all those strings in the world that I can only not even fathom his greatness in. But Mary moves from praising God for herself and what he's done in her to them praising God for all of his work, what he's done in everybody. And so she moves in verse 50, she says, and his mercy is for those who fear him, right? She's no longer talking about what God did for her, but what he does for everybody. From generation to generation, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. 
Now here we see, how does God treat the humble person? The person that comes before him like Mary as humble servants, as lowly, as someone who isn't worth much, isn't known much, is from a place that nobody knows much. How does God treat those? And then how does God treat the opposite of that, the proud? Or someone who knows everything, has it all together already. See, the first mark of a humble person, in verse 50 it says, is someone who fears God. Now fear is not, I'm gonna cower in a corner every time the presence of God comes in the room. It's not this, this fear of, I'm so scared I can't even talk to you like an abusive parent or spouse type of fear. What this fear is, it is, it is respect for his position and authority. A great word would be reverence, right? When you walk into a courtroom, everybody stands, and when the judge, because you know, the, the, the plaintiff or whoever it is says, please rise, we all stand, then everybody sits, we hold our tongue, we know when to say, the lawyer can say one word when the other person is going, objection. Anybody listening to Amber Heard and Johnny Depp, you learn way more about law the last six weeks than most law schools want to even teach you, right? Hearsay, Your Honor. But what do you learn when the judge says something? You stop. Why? Because the judge holds your life in his hands or her hands. You don't get up and make a show because what happens? You get thrown out of the courtroom. This is, there's a reverence there for the presence of that judge. This is what this fear is. It is a reverence for who God is a reverence for his authority, a reverence for his power and his might, a reverence that we are before the one who created the universe. From the greatest galaxy to the smallest atom, we are in his presence right now. It is reverence. And what does it say? It says that the humble, they get mercy. This mercy, this translation, it's so interesting. The Greek, there's a Greek um, translation of the Old Testament. And there's this word that is used here for mercy is the same word that the Hebrew word hesed gets translated in. And that word, if you remember when we were going through Ruth, had everything to do with the book of Ruth of God's hesed towards his people, his faithful, his gracious, his loyal love. That's what this word mercy means here. It's the hesed of God. That in all situations, the, the humble, the one who fear him, who reverence him. That's why it says in Proverbs 1, the fear of God is the beginning of all knowledge. Because when you reverence God, you obey him, you realize that his ways are higher than my ways. And that is wisdom. That is the true obedience. That is true faith in God. And so it says that the ones who fear God, the ones who reverence him, they have the hesed of God on them. The loyal, the faithful, the gracious love of God. And they not only get it, his mercy, his hesed, they get it from generation to generation. But then the proud come up, and what happens with the proud in verse 51? It says that they get scattered, that whatever they build will be brought to nothing. You think of the Tower of Babel here, that word scatter. 
that when they came around and said, we will be like God, we will build a tower into the heavens, what did God do and come to the proud? He confused their languages and scattered them across the earth so that everything that they had built, all the wealth that they had accumulated, all the greatness that they thought that they can bring together became nothing. It became a cautionary tale. And so the proud, everything that they do, everything that they build, their legacy, their name, their history, what, will come to nothing. They will become scattered to the wind. And then what does he do? In verse 52, he comes back to the humble. The humble he exalts. I realize something about God is that the, the more that you think you're great, the less you will be great in God's eyes. Do you realize that? I mean, we're gonna read about this all over the place in Luke as we go through the book of Luke, but Jesus tells this one story about someone who comes to a dinner feast. And he says, you, if you go to a dinner feast and you sit at the head of the table, the right hand of the person who is hosting the dinner feast, you are like the proud person because then the host is gonna come and say, well, I reserved that seat for someone greater than you. And now all the seats are taken, so now go back to the least seat at the end of the table. You're gonna get the seat of dishonor. But if you go to the dinner party and you sit in the seat of dishonor, you sit in the humble seat, the servant seat, then the host will come and look around and say, well, you're not supposed to be in that seat. Get up here, what do you think you're doing? And so often in our testimony, our testimony as the Lord brought out before, We are the hero of our story and we make ourselves great in God's eyes. God, if you come along and just do this one thing, then everything that I planned out is gonna, is gonna work out. God, if you, just, if you just give me enough strength so that I can take care of this and I got covered the rest, don't you see, we're gonna be all good here. We put ourselves on equal footing, have no fear of God, no reverence for who he is. I can handle my situation. And so instead, what happens, we get resisted by God. Instead of being exalted by God from a lowly place, we get resisted by God, as it says in 1 Peter and in James, that he resists the proud. Can you imagine being resisted by the presence of God, that when we try to enter, we get pushed away because of our pride. Says the proud he brings down from their thrones. At every high place I have constructed in my name, in my greatness, in my likeness, will be brought down by God. Every place that I have propped myself up, I, made a, I figured out a new formula for life. I figured out the key to happiness. I, I went to another motivational speech. I'm just gonna follow this TikTok if I, 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 I. What happened? We will be brought down in our pride. I always catch myself as, I pray and I think through my future and I think through what, what do I need and I, if I hear that I word coming too much, 
then I realize I have to repent before God because I've made myself great before him. I've tried to make myself appear like, yeah, God, well, let's do this together, me and you. You, you here, me here, we'll figure it out. Well, let's brainstorm how are we gonna do this. Because I am smart enough. I am good enough. I am tough enough. I am strong enough. But what will happen is I will be brought off my throne. See, in Revelation, what did the kings do? They threw their crowns. Our pride, our crowns, our worth is meaningless before the presence of God because of his holiness and his worthiness is unmatched in all of creation. And then he says in verse 53, Mary says, the hungry get filled with good things. Luke explores this more and more throughout the book. What are these good things that the hungry are gonna get filled with? Well, first off, they're spiritual things when he says later on in Luke, Jesus says, whoever seeks will find, whoever knocks, it will be open to them. What does he say? He says, they will get good things from the Father, the Holy Spirit. Some of y'all read that verse like, I've been knocking for that job, Lord. I've been seeking for this, Lord. I've been doing that, but what is, what is it? that when we seek, we will be satisfied. God gives the good gift of his Holy Spirit to his children. And so the hungry will get filled by the Spirit of God. Have you been hungry for his presence? Have you been hungry for God, for his word? Some of us have cried night and day for a word from God, but we have not cracked open the Bible or prayed before him. Are you hungry? And then he meets the physical needs. This is a theme throughout, again, all of Luke that we continue to unpack. We see it when Jesus breaks the bread for the 5,000, the crowd, because he has pity on them because he knows they would be hungry. That when he stands up later in the temple that he says he is good news to the poor. That God in his kingdom is not only about meeting the spiritual needs of his children, but also the physical needs of his children. That we can read that in the West and spiritualize everything and forget about the true poverty that surrounds us in the world, that even we live around here in the city and realize that we hold the good news of the Hesed of God, his faithful, loyal, gracious love that fills the hungry. That when he looks at his children, he says, don't you look at the birds and the grass and see how they're clothed and fed and have homes and how I will do the same for you, how much more worthy are you of those things than the grass and the birds? And then he says, in the final talk to the rich, he says, the rich go away empty. In Luke chapter 16, we see this parable that Jesus talks about between this man named Lazarus and the rich man. And Lazarus was a beggar at the rich man's house. Every day he stood there and begged for food. And then the rich man and Lazarus, they die. And the rich man was incredibly wealthy. But Lazarus 
gets to go with God and the rich man goes to Hades, to hell. And he's in torment in hell. And, and this is the conversation that the rich man and Lazarus have in verse 22 of Luke chapter 16. It says, the time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. Some of us are desperately clamoring for the very thing that will cast us away from the presence of God. We are desperately clamoring for the things that the world's offer to us. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life, it says in 1 John. The comforts of this world, where it says later, what does the Lord say to the rich man? He says, you got your wealth on earth. You got your good things on earth. You got your reward. The chasm is too great between you. Lazarus cannot come and dip his finger in water and give it to you. Church, our posture should be to run from pride. Because when we run from pride, we are running into the arms of God. They are on the opposite spectrums. And when you run from one, you are running towards the other. But if you think, man, I don't have an issue with pride. I'm not arrogant. Well, let me ask you something. Have you prayed fervently recently? Because pride is never praying. Pride is never praying because that means you can do it on your own. When someone stops praying, it's because they stop needing God. They stop realizing their desperation for a holy God to intervene into their frail body. We start thinking, I am good enough, I am great enough, I am capable enough in my own strength that I no longer need to go before the Father for sustenance. Well, I pray once a week, man, you should pray every hour, pray without ceasing, pray every day, pray every morning, pray every night. Because the moment you can think, I can go through this next hour without God's power, then you have walked into the sin of pride. Pride is thinking that the work of your hands will be sufficient for you. That in what I obtain through my mind and my hands will be all the comfort, control and security I need in life. The hesed of the world is greater than the hesed of God. Let me tell you, your job and your money will not be loyal to you. It will not be gracious towards you forever. That is not an unconditional, unfailing love. It is a mutual relationship that as long as I need you, money says, I'll keep you around, but the second I don't and I find somebody else, I'm dropping you. That's not said. Pride is hoping 
desperately to find sustenance outside of God because you think you know better than him. I'm feeling anxious, I'm feeling depressed, I'm feeling lonely. Netflix got my back tonight. I'm feeling tired, I wanna be filled, I'm feeling sad. TikTok will cheer me up. Pride is when God has provided the answer, here I am. But I say, what about this? Because I know better than God does for what I need. Church, run from it. Run from pride. Run with all your strength and run towards God. Because when you do, what you will find is a loving Savior who is mighty and holy to work all things for his good pleasure and glory. And in that, the eternal reward, the crown of life, will be greater than anything that we can put our hands to. And for generation to generation, they will call you blessed. Humble, servant, but blessed. And this is how God has treated his people for all time. Mary ends her song in verse 54 and 55. She says, he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. That's his said again. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. This is your ending reminder that God has kept his promises more than with just you, more than with just us as a church, but for all of time with his people forever. Since the very beginning, all the way back to Abraham, all the way back to the very seed of his people being on earth. God has kept his promises and nothing will change about that today. We know it, that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That God is the one who is loyal, who is faithful, and is gracious from generation to generation. And he has kept his promise to Israel. He will keep his promise to us. He has kept his promise to Mary. He will keep his promise to us. He has kept it in our past. He will keep it in our future. God only knows one mode, and that is keeping all of the promises that he's made towards us. I'm gonna ask you to stand as we pray. God not only will keep his promises for the humble who he will exalt, but he will also keep them for the pride and for the proud who he will resist. He kept his promises to Israel with the covenant for the remnant who kept it and for the ones who didn't. He will keep it for us today for the ones who humbly run before him and say, God, I need you. I'm ready to take this out of my hands and put it in yours and fearfully but obediently walk towards you.
Some of us have stopped praying. We've stopped clinging to the only one who can save, the only one who is mighty. And you've wondered why it has felt so distant with God lately. You've wondered why some things have started to creep back in and you've tried to fill it with other things. My call to you today is to be humble before God. Cling to him. Run to him. If you would say, Pastor, I need prayer. Our prayer team is gonna be in the back. At any moment during worship, we will be here to pray for you. At any moment while we're singing, if you feel the call, you need somebody to pray over you and pray with you, come back there. We will pray with you. And watch God's hand at work. Let's worship.